Come on. Come on. Welcome to Farm Discipleship. This is part two of our conversation with Kyle Childress. Kyle is pastor of Austin Heights Baptist Church in Nacogdoches, Texas, where he has served since 1989. In this interview, we are going to hear some more about how gardens change people and communities, how Wendell Berry has shaped Kyle's ministry, and how churches have a clear role in connecting people to their local food systems. Have a listen, and thanks for joining us on the farm. It's great to be here at Austin Heights Baptist Church, which I've, we've never been. It's our first time, I don't know why. We've known you so many years, and known of Austin Heights for so many years. Mm-hmm. It's good to be here. Mm-hmm. Let's, I mean, you push this in any direction you wanna go, Mm-hmm. I was intrigued by your question about uh, raising the issues of food farming discipleship. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like, especially as a congregation? Right. Mm-hmm. Because um, this is not, I know enough from your perspective that it's not an issue or a ministry of a rural congregation necessarily. Right. This is for anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about what that might look like and um, how, how can a congregation be more involved um, in uh, food, local food, gardening, farming, care for the land. I mean, there's a lot of things. You know, mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, Chad Myers Watershed Discipleship has some good suggestions toward the end of ways congregations can be more intimately involved in creation, care, earth. Right. Uh, everything from having worship services outdoors mm-hmm. to providing other ones. You know, my friend, uh, I think y'all know him, Stan Wilson. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, Stan used to be in Clinton, Mississippi and had a farm. I mean, had a 12-acre farm, big garden. Mm-hmm. And spring he would take uh, especially during Lent uh, people who are being prepared for baptism on Easter morning so part of what they would do is work the garden mm-hmm. now he had been accused of using forced uh, labor uh, to weed the garden but the truth is you know he, he had thought about this some of it was just working together and building relationships but part of it was also so they're out there weeding the garden, and they talk about sin in their life, mm-hmm. and and what are the connections, what can they learn, and all that. And and, and I don't want to push that too far and try to uh, because I don't know. I'm just saying that he he thought a lot about farming and gardening and discipleship yeah. and what might that look like. How does it change? I mean, you know, raises questions like, um, what's the difference in uh, farming uh, perspective in raising Christians Mm -hmm. and an industrial perspective Mm -hmm. on raising Christians? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, industrial uh, is going to, you're going to have probably curriculum written someplace else, Mm -hmm. mass produced curriculum Mm -hmm. of some kind. You have a model that's, some kind of marketing model or whatever mm-hmm. but one of the things about a farming uh, perspective of discipleship is that it needs to be more local mm-hmm. so what does Austin Heights in our case what does Austin Heights Baptist Church need to be doing in discipleship and how do we teach it here that might be different than teaching it in North Dallas right. sure. um, now we already do a lot of this we write our own curriculum uh, my associate colleague is more than able, uh, Sarah Carbajal. She writes a lot of it. We've been long when Sarah and uh, her brother Michael were kids, we would do vacation Bible school, and part of it was a necessity issue, but some of it was um, a theological 
perspective was that we did multi-generation Bible school at night. Mm -hmm. Well, the practical part was uh, we didn't have enough people to do the graded kids in the morning. Right. I mean, everybody's working during right. the day. We don't. Have, that was not an option. Yeah. We needed everybody working this together. So we started doing multi-generational. Mm -hmm. You can't find a lot of multi-generational curriculum for churches, so you have to write your own. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it is seat of the pants, and yeah. which was okay. I mean, you know, some of your memories, Michael, are probably of those uh, plays or skits that we would improv almost improvise of mm -hmm. uh, the, the Bible stories, and everybody uh, from uh, men and women in the church to uh, children, little children had a role or part in the reenacting. Mm -hmm. The Bible stories, or, or maybe a simple narration that was read, and then people would act it out, mm -hmm. and it was all videotaped. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. I mean, sure. you know. But I, but thinking about farming as a model for being disciples uh, and being a church. Uh, I mean, this is Wendell Berry. It's that, you know, you have to pay uh, attention to the land. Yeah. You don't impose a plan from someplace else on that particular land. Mm -hmm. um, he loves to quote Alexander Pope, the poet, mm -hmm. listen to the genius, genius of the place. place. Yeah. So um, so what you grow here may be different. Uh, and I'm just saying that part of uh, the call of the church, and I think it's theological and uh, deep thing, is that we're growing Christians, we're growing them in community, and we have to figure out um, how do we do that. Mm -hmm. And we learn from other churches and curriculums, but that might not be what works best where we are. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of farming discipleship. Industrial is mass production. Right. We're not doing that. You know, I mean, we, we took so long to eat lunch a while ago because two of those booths had people that were connected with uh, at our church. And, you know, one of the great benches in a smaller town uh, is it's you're always running into people you know. Some of them are in the church and some of them are not, but it's all about everywhere you go, you know somebody. You're growing community, yeah. you're mm -hmm. making connections, mm -hmm. you're providing, sometimes it's just simple pastoral care, mm -hmm. but you're always growing community. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned Chad Myers and earlier in Watershed Discipleship, which obviously has been an inspiration <coughs> to us in the creation of this podcast on farm discipleship. So... Chad has done such a good job of uh, helping to understand Christian disciple Christian discipleship involving paying attention to our relationship with our watersheds. So, with farm discipleship, the idea of a part of our Christian discipleship being paying attention to our food sheds, which don't have the same geographical distinctiveness, you know, boundaries as a watershed, but paying attention to where is our food from? Who is our farmer? What were the conditions under which this food that is on our table underwent to get to arrive at this place? So if the church were to pay attention to the sacramental nature of all of our food, what would that look like in the church? What might that look like? Well, uh, you huh? know, the, thing, the offering plate should look different. <laughs> you know, early sacrifices. Hmm. What do you mean? Were not monetary in the earliest church, I feel like. Well, I'm sure they were, but... Uh, so you might put a chicken in the offering plate? Uh, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> it has happened before, not here, but... 
they don't put it in the offer plate. They just give it to me out in the parking lot. That kind of stuff. I've had that happen. I used to, my first church, that rural church, I'd get in the car on Sunday nights. I was young and single, and they didn't pay me much. But I'd get in the car on Sunday night to drive back to school, and it was loaded with home-cooked, out-of-the-garden food. Mm. So I would have uh, not only fresh tomatoes, but the, there might be a tomato pie. Mm. Uh, there'd be, you know, fry, a, a thing of fried chicken mm. that uh, somebody had killed the chicken, you know, the day before and cooked it up. And, I mean, on and on and on. And yeah. um, so, I, you know, that's what I lived on. Slim young man to <laughs> a chubby young man in those days because I didn't get paid anything, but I got paid in food. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm thinking about what are the many ways you can help people get their hands in the dirt. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Lemon in our congregation is a leader in doing these uh, gardens and and schools. Mm. And we have another person that does the garden with the senior center. But Jim, especially working with children, is a firm believer about the importance of getting kids' hands in the dirt and they get to explore. And, you know, I never cease to be amazed on how little the kids know about where their food comes Mm -hmm. from. Right. Uh, what inspired Jim? Oh, well, first of all, he has, uh, part of his history is um, he's lived off the grid since probably the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, out in the woods, back in the, in the day, in the 70s, he sort of lived in a teepee. <laughs> and then eventually built his own log cabin and got a family, and his family insisted, you know, Dad, we want to live in something, <laughs> something decent. Uh-huh. So they built, but they built their own uh, house, log house, and, um, and and extensions and so on. And they have chickens and gardens, and mm-hmm. they the water they use is uh, uh, rainwater. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's he's lived like that for a long time, and he, and they canned and they've done this for years so they had they when they started coming here many years ago they taught the rest of us a lot mm. uh, about gardening and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then we have also sort of as a congregation been encouragers to them partly because we want to learn from them right. and we ask questions but mm-hmm. supporting them uh, has that been a successful project the mm-hmm. gardens in the school yes it has been mm-hmm. And y'all, we passed one and I almost stopped the car oh, really? and stuck my finger out because right after we left lunch, uh-huh. uh, we went by TJR Elementary. Okay. Which saw the rust, rust. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah one I saw the school. I didn't. I didn't and who's, yeah, who's eating the, the food? Where's uh, a lot of some of that is being used in the schools, uh, which we'd like to see more and more of it. Mm-hmm. And there's not any opposition. I mean, you know, there's the contracts with some kind of big. Uh, yeah. Yeah. food company yeah. Yeah. but but for the most part there's not opposition the mm-hmm. people who do the cooking are all for it mm-hmm. and like it mm-hmm. and the schools like it and so mm-hmm. it's um, but it's growing that's good uh, and you know it's it's hard because some of it is right now East Texas is lush mm-hmm. but uh, you know uh, it's hard going at other times of the year mm-hmm. but that's part of uh Gardening and local food. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. He he got a he he. Jim Lemon is a re- remarkable. He and his wife Carrie are two of the best educators I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And neither one of them are formal educators. He's a he, his background is counseling, mm-hmm. and, but she is a uh, outdoor educator. Mm-hmm. Work uh, and work for the university, mm-hmm. doing outdoor education with children. But 
they are amazingly patient and attentive to kids' questions, uh, whether what's in the dirt or what kind of plant is that or what is this, or a kid stops and looks at a flower, and they're very good about stopping with the child and say, what, what, what are you thinking about, or what does that make you think of, or why, and all of these ways that they... can also really open to suggestions. So an example would be Jim is putting together a garden box with, say, a 10-year-old. Hmm. And he's not telling the 10-year-old necessarily how to do it. He's asking the 10-year-old, well, how do you think we should do this? Mm-hmm. And then maybe tell him some, you know, give him some suggestions. But, like, really and truly, I mean, projects can take a long time with Jim mm-hmm. because... He's more interested in the process of people coming to an agreement together right. uh, than giving them a blueprint. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I would say, this is true, this back to this uh, farming discipleship, is that uh, the issue for the church, it's always, I would put it, it's not just about process, it's about building relationships. Mm-hmm. Whatever you do, wherever you are, no matter what it is, it's always about building relationships. Now, what we're talking about in this conversation is reminding ourselves and learning further that that relationship also has to do with the earth and all of creation, not just human beings. So how do you integrate that kind of stuff and you keep the main thing the main thing, which it's always about relationship. So it's not always the most efficient way. Right. Sometimes it takes longer. And some things may not get done or, or, or uh, I mean uh, or they be done they'll be, they may end up in a way that you didn't anticipate because you integrated some creative kids ideas into something that, and, it, and it, you know is that the best way well it's not the usual way but it's the way we came up right. with that kind right. of thing mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. but it is always for me being a pastor being the church it's always about relationship building community. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Being in a hyper-individualistic culture, you never stop helping people remember it's always about relationship. Right. That we're all connected. I, would, I want Austin Heights to be the kind of church that if somebody comes in the door on Sunday morning and steps on somebody's toe, everybody in the church hollers or grimaces or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the question is, how do we do that in a way, how do we further that to where we're even thinking in terms of uh, every time a tree is cut down or mm-hmm. clear cut or uh, something is going on with the earth that we're also having the same sense of connection right. as part of the ongoing right. challenge. Right. Well, in, in bringing this <coughs> sensitivity, if you will, into the church, if, we, if, if, it, if that were to happen, I mean, why would that matter? I mean, would, are, there, are there church practices or Christian doctrines that come to mind in this conversation about why it might matter for the church to help people get in touch with their food sheds as disciples yeah. of Christ? Well, I mean, you can go, you can you can touch base on this probably in several different ways. One of them, you can start with creation and talk about a creation theology of uh, being a part of, of creation. We're all connected and um, tilling the earth and, and the things that uh, Genesis talks about. Mm-hmm. So being more, some for some people you might say this is about being more biblical and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you go that direction. Um, you can also think in terms of um, theology of who God is, which is probably the place I start. But it's a theology that is Trinitarian, which is always about relationship. Mm-hmm. Doctrine of social trinity is all about relationship, perfect relationship. Uh, outward looking, though, always inviting and embracing. But you're doing that with all of the earth and you're doing this because not because 
oh, we all just love the trees. No, <laughs> you're doing this because this is a picture of who we are in Christ, the new creation of shalom and peace and justice and right relationship. I mean, we're embodying and enacting and living this out. And that's our calling. Right. If you don't want to do this, then don't get baptized. You know. <laughs> uh, don't be. Don't join the the movement. Right. Um, but practically, uh, I do think uh, as we alluded to earlier, in some ways, in, in a world of climate disruption and immigration crisis and racism and bigotry and guns and everybody feeling like they're uh, against one another. Mm. Somebody has the calling, I think, vocation, of showing there's a different way. And it's a way of right relationship and community and sharing and learning to build trust. Mm. There has to be somebody, and I think that's the call of the church. Mm. Is the church even perhaps, is there a way that the church perhaps is even uniquely positioned to to bring, to reconcile this, these broken relationships through paying attention to food? Well, I, yeah, I think uh, where else, I mean, one of the most central things we do is we gather around a table and break bread and sip from a cup and and reenactment of a, of a meal and, or, and, and share a sacred meal and it's meal and that it's always communal I mean that's the central thing about church and mm-hmm. so it's interesting that so right there at the from the get go mm-hmm. you're dealing with uh, all of that mm-hmm. uh, being in a small church I'm, it's partly responsible for me learning to do this think about this but partly also with uh, dealing with creation care and the earth and food and growing food. And you used the term earlier, uh, a sacramental understanding mm-hmm. of food and that, mm-hmm. that God is in and works in and with and through in ways that we don't understand actual sharing and partaking of and eating food. And there, there's ways that that's uh, not a sacrament. Yeah. You know, uh, thought when you eat food thoughtlessly and uh, abstractly, mm-hmm. abstractly meaning it's not connected with anybody or any place or mm-hmm. any story or any name mm-hmm. or anything like that. And it gets shipped to us, you know, from the other side of the country. And that, and, but a sacramental understanding is it's got all of that stuff that's going on. It's got a name, it's got a story, but <clears throat> realizing that God is working in and through this and it's to be shared. Right. Uh, that's part of it is the sharing. And um, so, uh, and when I say I learned this partly in a small church, uh, I think part of a, a small church uh, is that God it works in and through it doesn't take money or power as usually defined mm-hmm. to make a difference. But uh, understanding the sacramental aspect of the church is that God works through this small congregation in ways that we don't understand to bring about change that maybe we can see and maybe we can't, but God's at work. Right. And that's that was true when we were opposing that pipeline uh, seven or eight years ago, but it's true about working on food issues here locally and race issues. Uh, and I mean, we go down the list. Uh, but Austin Heights is a small congregation with a wide reach uh, in this local community. Uh, and I think it's a sacramental understanding. God's work in ways that we don't even understand. Mm-hmm. So we can be encouraged. Not give up. Not give up in despair. Yeah. Uh, I would like to just, you got me thinking. With okay, good. I know I'm not supposed to be part of this podcast. You, well, you, 
You are now. We're, you, we're glad you're here. Yeah. Wait, what's it? What's it made you think about? Well, you asked how is the church in Euclid's position mm -hmm. for food, and I started thinking about food. Food and water. I mean, Chad, Chad thought about watershed discipleship, and it's like, uh -huh. okay, well, what about you know, <coughs> food and water are kind of basic to life. Yeah, basic to life, and also kind of uniquely tied to the word service, I think. You know, from the moment you plant the seed to the moment someone eats it, there's a service taking place mm. for someone, perhaps yourself, but more likely someone else. And church, in the same way, is kind of, I think, unique in that way. Uh, I've got a friend who's he's actually one of my closest friends, and he's an atheist. I've encouraged him to find a church where he's at and and to get around some of the arguments that I know I'm not ever going to maybe reach him with. Mm -hmm. I tried saying, you know, the church is actually just a really good place where you can find people who are different than you, but you're going to find out how you're similar to them mm -hmm. and for you to not only serve others, but when you need help moving or whatever it is, such a good network of people and I said I can't think of another group you tell me and he said well I go to a lot of concerts and you know we're like family with music people and I said well do y'all help each other move and he said well no mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's a service aspect to church that he can't quite acquire from a Facebook group uh -huh. or, or you know a group of people who go to see concerts together mm -hmm. and I wish I wish more people knew about what that aspect of church is beyond just uh what we believe, this this idea that people who have really no other commonality mm -hmm. except their belief in God and service to one another and to God, um, it's just kind of a neat concept that you can't find that somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's food good, is somehow also yeah. in that same yeah. service concept. Right. What you're talking about is practice. And a lot of times you practice your way into believing. I, I mean, this is not mm -hmm. new. I've had people come here who tell me, I don't really believe any of this. And I have said, uh, that's fine. We're not threatened by that because uh, we know what we believe. So just come on in. But uh, the one expectation is that you do everything. Mm -hmm. So you say the prayers whether you believe them or not. Mm -hmm. you, you follow along and listen to the scripture whether you believe in it or not, you sing the hymns, whether you believe in them or not. Mm -hmm. But you got you need to do it. And then you also give in the offering and you find a place of ministry, service, uh, here in the church and beyond, somewhere. But you got to do this. So I'm not asking you to uh, subscribe to the Apostles' Creed or everything in the Bible or whatever, however you want. But I am asking you to do these things. And if they're willing to do that time and time again, over my 30 years here, I've had people say, you know, uh, you know, this may be two years later, <coughs> excuse me, where they say, uh, you know, I'm sort of believing this stuff. They're sort of surprised. I do wonder, I, do, I have no doubt, I mean, there's been plenty written on this, that you can have conversations about the Christian life and, and service doing things but say digging in the garden that you can't as easily have and it's not a, it's not a I can't analyze it um, uh, Matthew Crawford has a book called Shop Class as Soul Craft uh, several years ago it's a great read he's a philosophy PhD from somewhere like the University of Chicago but he went back to his first love, which was uh, working in a mechanic, uh, auto, uh, a motorcycle mechanic shop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the whole book is a reflection on the difference uh, using our hands, gardening, uh, quilting, mm -hmm. uh, electrical uh, work, carpentry, mechanics, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the way our brain operates differently when we're using it with our hands as opposed to um, sort of abstractly not using our hands. Yeah. And I think, I wonder 
if there are ways that uh, growing food together with a bunch of kids and then gathering that food up and taking it to uh, visit somebody mm -hmm. as a gift is a way to help uh, kids learn about the faith that mm -hmm. you would not Otherwise, I mean, I'm wondering out loud about that, right. but I do think practice, and practice needs, you still need content, you just got to teach along the way, but a lot of times people, they learn more by doing this stuff. Uh, I know that uh, in the early church, they would, discipleship, baptismal preparation was often, we want you to change your behavior, uh, we'll worry about your beliefs later mm -hmm. we're going to change the way you treat other people and the way you pay it we're going to pay attention to how you treat uh, a poor beggar on the street and we're going to show you and we, we're going to emulate it mm -hmm. i mean we want you to emulate us we want you to look at us the mentors mm -hmm. and learn but it had to do with change behavior before mm -hmm. it had to do with changing thoughts yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> karate kid is really perfect <laughs> And you yeah. practice these motions that you right. don't understand wax on, wax over on. and over yeah. and over. Right. And one day you realize that everything you've been practicing. Yeah. Well, right. and you, you, mm. you touched on this a little bit already, but when we're thinking about our mission work, you know, and hands-on activities, and you're talking about providing meals to people as far as outreach and, you know, and just providing food to people. But thinking of you know, we talked about food insecurities, and and uh, and there's which is particularly high in this county, uh, and several other counties in the state. But uh, there are gaps that that uh, how does the how does the church respond uh, to these hunger gaps? You know, people not having accessible, affordable, healthy food, and the impacts of all that. Where is the church? in that system uh, and how can the church participate in that in a way that brings dignity to all who are involved in that situation as opposed to just I mean there are some ways where it it, it may not be feel like people are being treated with dignity but how how can we do how can we I, I'm just wondering what thoughts come to mind as far as um, the mission field, as, as it pertains to Well, you know, farming. one of the models, we're all looking for ideas, creative models, or some, you know, over in uh, North Carolina, Anathoth Garden. Mm -hmm. um, I'm blanking on the name of the town, but you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. You know, that's a, that's a, that was a, effort of a small is that church. Fred, Fred, or is that, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. But it was, you know, effort of the church and this garden grew um, and it became uh, outreach to the whole community and not only outreach, it included the whole community eventually. You know, one of the first things that people worry about when they do gardens that are open to people are open anybody can come in is people steal stuff out of the garden. Mm -hmm. And that's what Anathoth started they were dealing with it. And then they finally started working on, well, wait a minute, how do we go with this rather than trying to stop it? Mm -hmm. and, and, and over a lot of time of trial and error, they learned how to, it was a communal garden. And, the, and what eventually happened is the, the whole community had investment in it. Mm -hmm. It was all of our garden, ours, not just those people. So you weren't stealing from those people over there. It was, wait a minute, we're stealing from each other. So right. it's a different attitude. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a, that's a great model of uh, a ministry of the church that mm -hmm. just took off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We experienced that, that when we were attending uh, the, uh, the church. The sanctuary. The sanctuary where Brent Bowden was Pastor Brent and I and, and some other folks started a community garden at the church there. We had a lot of land <coughs> on a busy intersection, so we, we created a community garden. Invited church members to come participate and the community. 
and it was a it was a very successful uh, garden. And then whenever whenever somebody had excess food in their in their uh, garden, sometimes they had, they would just put a little box out. And there was a bus stop right there at the corner. Mm-hmm. People would just put up extra extra tomatoes or extra uh, green beans. They put in the box and put it out there by the bus stop. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But it was a good way to That's good to build community, not just in your church or your neighborhood, but with people coming through on buses, mm. going somewhere else. And that, and that just kind of naturally happened. I yeah. mean, people weren't told to do that, yeah. but it yeah. lent itself to. How can we share the food with those besides us? How can we share it with others? Which is paying attention to your place. It's like, well, there's a bus stop right here. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. And then having the children come in. Children of the neighbors, or uh, more the neighbors in the church. We didn't have a lot of young kids mm-hmm. in the church, but mm-hmm. the neighbor kids come in, and they would kind of experience that sense of wonder in taking this little seed that if you put it on a piece of paper here and waited for it to grow, it's not going to do anything. But once you put it in the ground and tend it and water it and let the sun shine on it, well, by God, you're going to have a little, a little little seed come up. And watching that child just in awe of this little plant doing something and then growing and eating that plant, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a good lesson for, for the kids. Mm-hmm. <coughs> you know, I was about three years old. I was in my grandmother's chicken yard. And there was a, she was always throwing scrap foods out there to them. And there was a peach seed out in the garden. And it wasn't a fresh peach seed. I mean, it had been there for weeks, perhaps maybe longer I don't know but you know I was a little bitty thing and I remember digging a hole in the middle of the chicken yard and burying that peach seed Uh and I don't know if my grandparents maybe dug it deeper or whatever or if they did anything but I know they started we got it and we watered it and we watered it and I was over at their house three times a week so I'd water get that door and um, so I watered, uh, and but what would happen? What happened is it sprouted a little peach tree, you know, the next year. And when I was in high school, huh? it was uh, producing peaches. Wow. Uh, well, long before that, but mm-hmm. I was still producing peaches when I left to go to college. And I mean, it was laden with. And by that time, you know, it was probably. Trying to remember, six, five or six feet high. Mm. How those peaches taste? <coughs> Always taste better. Mm-hmm. You know, you grew them. That's right. You know, Norman Wiersma talks about this with, I think it was tomatoes, but uh, I've done it with peaches. Same, same experience of sitting with my grandfather, p- picking a peach, and sitting with my grandfather under on his porch. This is probably why porches are so important to mm-hmm. me. Sitting on the porch, and he'd take out his pocket knife, and I wanted to eat that peach then. Mm-hmm. And he would no, 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 and it'd take him thirty minutes of peeling the peach, talking, telling the story, making motions with his hands, and then peeling the peach. Uh-huh. And of course, he would peel the peach in a way that it was one continuous um, peeling uh-huh. in a spiral. <laughs> But peel that peach and then slice it with his knife and give me a piece and then slice it and give me a piece, a hideous piece, and back and forth like that. Now, you know, I was impatient uh, and I couldn't understand why he took so long, but there was a, the, the enjoyment of the peach lasted, um, you know, 30, 40 minutes mm-hmm. that way. Uh, it was also about relationship with the peach but also mm-hmm. with my grandfather sure. so there was so much more going on oh, yeah. in that 40 minutes of eating a peach absolutely <coughs> absolutely yeah beautiful yeah and then you take the scrap of the uh, uh, peach peel and throw it in the chicken yard mm-hmm. for the chickens to and they just love uh-huh. it yeah uh-huh. that's great uh we did a, when I was living in Bryan College Station, a community garden. Mm-hmm. It was right in the middle of a low, very low income neighborhood. It was mm-hmm. perfectly placed. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the challenges 
were talking about how folks uh, sometimes go wherever they can walk to, right? The convenience store. Mm-hmm. More folks than not, when we showed up on Sundays with food from the garden, mm-hmm. didn't know even what to do with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you t- you take so. So what food? Co- what what confused them? What kind of foods confused them? Like a cucumber. Ah. So we show up with something like fresh zucchinis or cucumbers that we just picked and we're all proud of. It took us much, a lot of work to till the yeah. dirt and all this mm-hmm. stuff and get it. And uh, we proudly show up. And uh, a lot of people just didn't even know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, and when you think about as each generation gets a yeah. little bit less and less tied to food. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're more used to things that come in a little package. Mm-hmm. Um, like a you know crackers or stuff you'd get mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. convenience store. Well, mm-hmm. what are the risks of that of continuing that disconnection, and what are the opportunities of reconciling that disconnection? Mm. You know, what, what where do we go if we continue being disconnected, not knowing where our food is from and how it was grown or raised? And what and does the church care about that? Does the church have a well? I do that? think the practical thing is that the days are coming where we're gonna we're gonna have to uh, the climate the climate disruption stuff. You know, if we have more hurricanes in this part of the state, mm-hmm. you know, we went fifty years and probably didn't have a hurricane this far inland. Mm-hmm. In the last fifteen, we've had five. Mm-hmm. And um, then you have a lot of folks who come up from the coast to get away from that, and on and on and on. So with more climate disruption and change, uh, how do we feed people? What, how do you feed people if the uh, standard industrial uh, food connections and transportation systems are disrupted? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do if the price of oil goes up mm-hmm. and the food gets to be more uh, unaffordable mm-hmm. because you're bringing cantaloupes from California sure. instead of growing them in your backyard mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think we're, uh, and I know that when when the price of oil, price of gasoline goes up, you see people paying attention to uh, growing food and walking and riding mm-hmm. bicycles mm-hmm. in ways that they don't when the price mm-hmm. of gasoline is cheaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do think practically we're going to be needing to do that, learning to do how do you grow your own food, how do you share with one another, how do you, uh, who does know how to do this. Uh, and, 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 you know, we've got some great resources here in town beyond this church, the university. Mm-hmm. There's some people in uh, environmental science at the university and people in the hospitality department, which has to do with learning how to work in a restaurant, well, they're learning a lot over there about local food. And, mm. uh, and they're on top of it. And then, and then there are other efforts now on gardening and community gardens in town and in the area. There's a, you know, there's a community-supported agriculture farm just north of town. Mm. Our church has a subs- subscription with them, mm. membership. Uh, how does that work? Your, your church has a subscription Yeah, the them. church does, so we go and, of course, this time of the year, you're pretty limited right. to kale. How would you like that? <laughs> me, how many ways could you make kale? <laughs> right. Uh, but, so somebody will pick it up or, or, or whatever the arrangements are, it gets it like on Friday or Saturday, mm. and then it's brought up here to the church, and then on Sunday, people will go and help themselves. Mm. Um, and like I say, That's great. If they like kale, they're, they're, it's a bonanza right now. <laughs> now, it's not going to be long before right. there's going to be other things starting right. to come uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. We, uh, yeah. And we also have, in addition to that, we have other pe- individuals and families that have memberships with that farm. Mm-hmm. And then there's, um, oh, uh, anyway, there, there are several efforts around of, Doing farming in sustainable ways, 
whereas 15 years ago they were not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the farmers market in the uh, roughly 15 years of its existence, and it may be older than that, but and there have been different uh, eras of when the farmers market came and went, and but this latest uh, version is roughly 15 between 15 and 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, it used to be um, six vendors. Yeah. And my heavens, this spring. There'll be a hundred vendors, mm. Is that right? and there are farmers and gardeners, and then there, and then you know, there's people doing other things too. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! And you know, we often will have our glass recycling. You know, we we formed a nonprofit. Uh, Michael's father, Steve, and Kate Chisholm, and another couple in the church. We were studying one of the books. We were doing small groups in the church several years ago. Uh, we were reading something on food and faith. It wasn't Norman Wiersma's book. It was another one designed for uh, small groups mm-hmm. in churches. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, started asking questions about wait a minute. There was, and we don't know. We we still don't know how these showed up. But in that small group. There were a couple of bottles of wine on the table. No idea how those got there. I don't know how it got there. <laughs> and somebody said, you know, this glass is just going to go in the landfill. And one thing led to another. And Michael's father had a, uh, somebody had given him not long before a glass cutter. And they started thinking, wait a minute, now what if we took glass and recycled it, repurposed it, reused it? did this, did that, made stuff, and sold it at the farmer's market, mm-hmm. and then other things. And then we'd give the proceeds, uh, if we could, to Habitat for Humanity. Mm. <clears throat> and that started, and then not long after that, the cities quit taking glass and recycling. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so what we did, they formed a nonprofit called... Um, CNR Cut Bottle, named the initials of the two families, and then Cut Bottle with a K. Uh-huh. And so on Monday mornings and Friday mornings, volunteers meet behind the public library where there's recycling of paper and plastic and all of that stuff in the city. Mm-hmm. There's one section that's for glass. Hmm. And even though it's set up to be like the city, it's a partnership between CNR Cut Bottle, essentially Austin Heights, and the city. The city provides those big uh, containers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they'll bring they'll bring in the truck every so often, a crusher, and crush the glass down, and then uh, help make arrangements. Uh, but we do all the work of people dump their glass, and we have to go through it because there's some glass, certain kinds of ceramics and so on, mm-hmm. that can't be mixed in. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, uh, we have... Uh, See, our cut bottle has made the arrangements with a company in another city, Houston maybe, where the so ever so often it transported down there, mm-hmm. and we're, we're so that's another thing. But the truth is, last recycling in Nacogdoches, yeah, that's Austin Heights Baptist Church. How about that? That's true. Yeah. Huh? Wow. Pretty good for the county. For the yeah, for <laughs> the whole county. Yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah. <coughs> it's amazing how much people can drink on the weekend. <laughs> Man, you get an education. Somebody yeah. would have put it away. Right. Well, Kyle, I want to I want to give you the space to to talk about any. We've covered so much, and this has been wonderful. But I want you to be able to uh, add in anything that you would like to share that we you feel like we haven't touched on in this on this topic, but. As we're getting this podcast started called Farm Discipleship, where we're talking to farmers on how their farming informs their faith and how their faith informs their farming, as we're talking to ministers like you who are paying attention to this, and as we will be talking to scholars who are writing and teaching about this, what are your hopes for this podcast? 
that while you're walking behind uh, a mule or a horse or a rototiller and you got your buds in your ear, earbuds, that you'll be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Seriously, though, it makes me think, uh, a reminder, a good image, a good story about what we're doing is so different from uh, the dominating culture around us. Farming and thinking about raising food and, and but the patience and attentiveness that it, that it takes, mm-hmm. patience and attentiveness it takes to be the church, to mm-hmm. know each other. But, you know, Clarence Jordan, who was a farmer, right. Baptist New Testament scholar, mm. but when he was a boy, he would uh, memorize Sermon on the Mount by when he's walking behind a mule plowing, and he would recite a verse and then over and over again, and, and, and he'd get to the end of the row and say it out loud, and then come down and work on the next one. He, mm-hmm. But he would do that day after day, week after week, month after month for years. And when he got to the University of Georgia in the 30s, he uh, became part of ROTC, mm-hmm. like everybody, especially in those days gearing up toward the war. Right. And he couldn't march. He was a terrible marcher, soldier <laughs> marching, and his uh, superiors would chew on him and chew on him because he couldn't keep time. Yeah. But in his head, in a deep, deep kind of way, the rhythms of walking and marching were dictated by him memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, walking behind a plow horse Mm. or a mule. And that set, that determined the shape and the step and the rhythm of his life. Mm. And so when it came to marching as a soldier, he couldn't do it. Mm. He ended up leaving ROTC. Now, I think what we're talking about is the same kind of thing. We want people who learn to walk and care and live uh, to a different rhythm and a different pace mm-hmm. because we live according to a different drummer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about and, mm-hmm. and I hope some of what we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think this can happen in big church, but I think you really have to pay attention to small groups because everything is about relationship and working together. So instead of uh, 3,000 people working on a farm, uh, you may have, uh, you know, um, multiple farms with uh, smaller groups of people working on mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. yeah, we do miss. Yeah. Well, and Clarence Jordan, of course, went on to start Koinonia Farm, meaning community. And um, I guess we're all connected in one way or the other, but we're particularly grateful that you're a part of our community. And we're grateful for your generosity of time today. Glad y'all came down and saw the big city. (laughs) Leave the farm and come to the big city. That's right. That's right. That's right. Anything else? So fun. Why did we wait so long to come to Nacogdoche? (laughs) Well, I'm glad you did.